people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. What is happening right now, what is taking place in our lives, that Jesus would receive maximum glory and honor. And may we leave this site today more in love with Jesus than we were when we came. That Jesus is not always the kind of Savior that we want, but instead He's the Savior that we need. Jesus died to save them from their sin. That is the main thing. If that ever ceases to be the main thing, then we've missed the point. Let's open our Bibles together this morning to the book of Matthew. We're going to take a pause this morning from our series through 66 books of the Holy Bible. And this morning I want to talk to you about the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus. And I want to share some things that I learned when I was in Israel. And I also want to show you some pictures this morning of some of the places. But before we get there, I want to read the text to you. I don't have the text on the screen this morning, but I ask that you would follow along. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12, and this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went to and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. 
in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. Verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord for his people this morning. So in this section in Matthew chapter 4, we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as we think about the ministry of Jesus and walk through how he began his ministry, the early days of his ministry, I want you to notice the first thing in this passage that just jumped out to me was that Jesus lived in community. Jesus lived in community. He chose to live in the town of Capernaum. And if you'll look at the picture that's on the screen right now, this is actually a picture I was able to take over the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the one with the sunset was looking directly forward. This one is to the right at the Sea of Galilee. And there's a small village uh, just to the left of the mountain, if you can go back, yeah, just to the left of the mountain over here that was Tiberius. And this mountain that you see here is the place where Jesus would have gone up to pray before, when he sent his disciples to the other side before he came and walked on the sea. So you can picture from this, from this image that Jesus would have gone up there, prayed. This is the place where he would have fed the thousands. And they were all gathered to him on the hillsides. And so much of his ministry happened here. So this is where Tiberius would have been. If you go uh, to the next slide, this is actually the remains of the town of Capernaum. And it clearly tells us that Jesus went there to live. Now we I don't, I don't know if you're like me, but I've always thought of Jesus just kind of roaming around because he traveled the country. But Jesus did have a community that he called home during his ministry. He was raised in Nazareth, then he was rejected in Nazareth, as we're going to see, and he chose to go to Capernaum. And these are actually the remains of this Roman village. Uh, the next slide, you'll actually see some of the... Uh, some of the uh, ruins from this village they still have the etchings and the carvings in the capitals and the posts um, this next one i want you to look at is um, more of the remains right outside of the synagogue and underneath the church the little rounded area there that is actually a church that was built over uh, simon peter's mother-in-law's home where jesus did ministry and uh, according to tradition, they believe this is the exact site where Peter would have lived, where his mother-in-law would have lived. And that's probably where Jesus and the disciples stayed when they were there. There's also the remains of a 5th century synagogue. And it's basically back this direction um, where we're standing from this picture. The next picture 
This is actually the remains of the 5th century synagogue. And this synagogue uh, would have been built over the top of where the former synagogue was at. So Jesus would have taught in this place, not in this exact building, but they've dug down and they've found the remains of the 1st century synagogue underneath this picture. And there's another picture where there's actually a rabbi teaching inside of the synagogue. There was a a group of... uh, I'm assuming Jewish uh, people there that that their rabbi was teaching. There were multiple groups there uh, touring the site, but they were having their own service on location. So this is an actual 5th century synagogue that would have been built a few hundred years after Christ lived over the place where he would have taught in his hometown synagogue once he moved to Capernaum. Moving forward to the next slide, this is from the uh, Mountain of the Beatitudes. And again, they don't know the exact site, but in the distance you can see the Sea of Galilee. This is a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. So it's extremely close if it's not the exact location where Jesus would have taught uh, his most famous and most powerful sermon from this spot. And this is actually the place where I recorded the video last week. Did that, was that shown in the service last week? Yes, so this is actually from the exact place. Actually, it was a little bit over, but the same location where that video was recorded. Going to the next slide, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get all the pictures out of the way because I don't want to do this through the whole thing. This is all right around the Sea of Galilee. This is a place called Tabga, and they believe this is the place where Jesus came and appeared to his disciples as the risen Savior. When they were out fishing early in the morning and he came walking on the shore and called out to them and asked them if they had caught anything. And they said no, that they had struggled all night and hadn't caught anything. He said, well, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. As he had told them before in in, in a previous uh, time in the beginning of his ministry. And they did this and almost sunk the boat because of all the fish that they caught. And this is where Peter would have dove into the water and swam to the shore. They would have cooked the fish on the shore and uh, it's just amazing seeing it and being able to be there and experience it and see the Bible come to life in our mind right before our eyes. This final place, which was one of my favorite places when I was there, especially in the realm, all these places I've just shown you are right around the Sea of Galilee. There, you could walk to each of these places in just you know, uh, probably 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. They're all very close in location. And this is Magdala. And the, the importance of Magdala is this is an actual, even archaeology and even unbelievers affirm that this is a first century synagogue at the Sea of Galilee. And there's, I want to show you another picture. Um, the stone you see to the left, the, the square-shaped stone, is an actual stone that they found there. It's carved. It's where they would have rolled out the scrolls. And undoubtedly in this location, Jesus actually taught in this temple. He stood at this place. He probably sat, unrolled the scroll, and taught many, many Sabbath days in the synagogue. The next picture actually shows you some of the tile work that they were able to dig down This is actual tile work that would have been in the first century synagogue that Jesus walked on and ministered on. Absolutely amazing. It's unbelievable. So 
Getting back to the fact that Jesus lived in a community. I wanted to show you these pictures because he lived in an actual place with actual people. And Capernaum was directly on the Sea of Galilee. And it's significant because Jesus chose that as his home city, his home base to minister. And he did that because he was driven out of Nazareth. Jesus was rejected in his own, own hometown and we were able to stand on the precipice. It was actually in the video where JC was teaching. He was, he, we were able to stand on the precipice where they dragged him outside of the city and they were going to throw him off, but he basically performed a miracle and walked out from all the people that were trying to kill him. And that's why he left his own hometown and he went to minister here. It was also the home of Peter and Andrew, where he called them to follow him. He also found Matthew, who was a tax collector in Capernaum, and he called him to follow him. He did many of his miracles there. He taught in the synagogue there, we're told in John and in Mark. This is where he healed the centurion's son, which lets us know that there were a hundred soldiers and the centurion leader that were based in Capernaum. This was a major post on the Sea of Galilee for the Roman power. And uh, this was basically a, an entire community that was rebuilt by Rome. And the centurion leader came and, and asked Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus did it. The nobleman's son was healed there. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed there, a paralytic. And this is where he cast out an unclean spirit, raised Jairus' daughter, back to life from the dead, and he healed the woman with an issue of blood. The remains that we saw just a moment ago, that was where Jesus did it. So he's actually living in community. The Bible tells us that Jesus did not have a place of his own to lay his head, meaning he didn't own a home, he didn't own land, but he did stay places. He stayed with other people. And I don't know if they rented a room or if lived in one of the rooms of, of the other disciples or with Peter's mother-in-law. But we know that he lived there in community with other people, which is important to us because this is how every one of us live. Now, we live in a different day where we get in cars and we drive 30, 45 minutes away to go to work. And we know people all over the city. It's it's nothing to drive three or four hours and go visit someone. My family got to go back yesterday to Chattanooga and visit my uh, father-in-law for his birthday, um, which is on Monday, I believe. And they were able to, to go back. In this world, that wasn't possible. Most people didn't travel more than 25 miles from their hometown. So they lived in community. And while we live differently in the 21st century, we're still called to live in community like Jesus lived in. We should know our neighbors. We should care about the people that are around us. We should try to make an impact, not only in our home communities, but around the church. We should reach out to people and let them know that there is a community here that loves one another. That there is a community here that cares for one another, that believes in something, that are working together. And we can't think about Jesus' ministry without thinking about the fact that he did it in community with other people. And not only did he live in Capernaum in community with the village there, 
but he also lived in community with his disciples. They lived in Capernaum with him, and they traveled with him. This was Jesus' real community. And we see different layers of Jesus' community. He had the 12 that followed him, went with him everywhere he went, listened to his teaching, helped him, uh, served with him. They actually were sent out by him. They did miracles, shared the gospel, preached. They, they did all this in community with Jesus. But there was also the inner circle. There were Peter, James, and John, the three disciples that got to go places with him that the other disciples didn't get to go. So he was investing daily with the 12, but he also was going deeper with Peter, James, and John at a level that he didn't go with the other disciples, which is something that should teach us something. As we live in community, we should be reaching out to other people, trying to make disciples in larger groups and smaller groups and even individually. Good friend of mine named Jedi that lives in uh, Anderson, South Carolina, sent me a message at about, I think it was about 1130 last night. He was excited. He, he used to be in one of my small groups where I discipled a group of men, taught them how to study their Bible. And it was, it was about five or six guys. And we got extremely close, went really deep in God's word. And he sent me a text late last night, excited because he's been inviting two of his neighbors to come to church with him. And they both just were absolutely against the idea. They both been in church when they were younger. They had both been hurt deeply in church and they weren't interested. So he said, would you consider doing a Bible study with me? And both of them said, yeah, we'd love to do a Bible study. We love the Bible. Let's do it. So he was excited last night asking me to pray for him, modeling what Jesus did, doing discipleship, living in community with people, loving people, teaching people. This is how Jesus started his ministry on earth. So we see that Jesus lived in community. We also see that Jesus obeyed God's will. We cannot miss the fact as we see Jesus' ministry beginning, he is walking in step with the will of the Father. He doesn't just make it up as he goes. He is a part of God's eternal plan. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God, he fulfilled the law, fulfilled all righteousness. He did what nobody else could do. He was the spotless lamb, and everything he did in his ministry was connected to God's will. Everything he did in ministry was connected to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was indwelling the human Jesus. Yes, he was God, but he was also human. And he chose to lay aside all the rights. He was still fully God, but he chose to lay aside all of his rights as a human. And the Holy Spirit directed him every step. Each believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit. He comes in and he indwells us and he lives in us and he teaches us in many different ways. He teaches us through other people. He teaches us through our conscience. He teaches us through different situations. But the greatest way the Holy Spirit teaches us is through the word of God. And if we want to minister in the way that Jesus ministered, by the way, I need to say this right up front. Every member of the church of Jesus Christ, every member of the body of Jesus Christ, every saint, every believer is a minister. Not just people that are pastors, not just preachers, not just missionaries, not just worship leaders. 
Every member is a minister. And if we want to minister the way Jesus ministered, we have to live in community and we have to obey God's will. He even tells us in the passage that I just read from Matthew that the prophecy had to be fulfilled. He says, so that it so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he reads this prophecy from Isaiah, connecting Jesus to God's revealed will in Scripture. Jesus was living his life according to God's word. Why would we try to live our lives and minister as the body of Christ disconnected from God's word? It just does not work. It's where our power is at. It's where our strength is at. When Jesus stood in Luke chapter 4, um, let, me, let me go ahead and read this for you. Luke chapter 4 verse 14. It gives us a little bit more information than Matthew does. And Jesus returned in power in the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And there he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He claimed to be the promised Messiah. Jesus' ministry was connected to God's word, connected to God's will. Everything that he did bore witness that he was the promised one. Jesus also preached scripture. We see that he begins his ministry in Matthew preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your sins and trust in God. Then it says he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He never got sidetracked from his ministry. He never got sidetracked from his mission. He followed God every step of the way. He came to lay his life down as a ransom for sinners. He came to shepherd his sheep. He came to heal the unrighteous, to redeem mankind. And he did what no one else has ever done. He perfectly, perfectly obeyed God's will, perfectly obeyed God's law, fulfilled God's law to every single dotting of every I, crossing of every T. Jesus was the Messiah. And he obeyed God's will in his ministry. Next, we see that Jesus made disciples. In the very early days of Jesus' ministry, he made disciples. This was actually his main ministry. And I just want to say this is also the main ministry of the church. This is the great commission that Jesus gave us. He said, go into all the world 
and make disciples of all nations. And he told them, starting at home in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And the church has obeyed Jesus, and we have done that. But the primary purpose of Jesus' ministry was to make disciples. And that's the purpose of the church. If we're not making disciples, we're not a church. We're just a club. We're just a place where people gather. We're just a place where friends hang out. If we're not making disciples, and what does discipleship mean? What does it mean to make disciples? It starts with evangelism. It starts with making converts. Seeing people converted to Jesus Christ, seeing them believe the gospel through the preaching of the gospel, seeing them baptized, seeing them join the church, seeing them equipped, as Paul said, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is what a church does. The disciples were trained by Jesus and they were entrusted to spread the gospel throughout the world. One person, one pastor, or even a church staff or a church leadership team cannot do the work of the ministry in a community. It takes everybody. Every member is a minister, and we're all called to make disciples. We make disciples in different ways. In my lifetime, I've gone to trailer parks and done outreaches. I've gone to inner city projects. I've gone to prisons. I've preached in pulpits. I've done youth camps. Many different ways that I've ministered. I've started men's Bible studies. I've done one-on-one Bible studies with people. My wife disciples people and makes disciples in different ways. I've never seen my wife stand up and preach. Now, she's preached some sermons to me in private at home, and we won't talk a whole lot about that, but she's a really good preacher. But she doesn't stand in a pulpit and preach. I, I don't see her publicly leading in the way that I have But that doesn't mean she's not making disciples. She's got friends and friendships that she's invested in. She's seen people come to Christ through building friendships with them. She's seen people join the church. She's seen people be baptized. Remember my daughter, Elena, there's a a picture that pops up on my phone every year. I don't don't know if I've even told you this, but picture of Brianna. When she came to uh, uh, Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga, she received Christ. She was baptized, and Elena was just... 12, 13 years old, I don't know. But that picture reminds me every year that as just a young girl, she was making disciples. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. We do it in different ways, different stages of life. If we're in school, it's different than if we have a career and we're working a job. If we're retired, it's different than when we were actually working in a workplace every day around people. But we're all called to make disciples. The next thing we see that Jesus did is Jesus loved the people. And this is the final thing I'm going to talk about this morning. Jesus loved the people. It says that he went throughout the the area around Galilee, healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases among the people. His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him the sick people who were taken in different diseases those who are possessed with devils, all these different people, the crippled, he healed them. He was caring for them. He loved them. The Bible says multiple times that Jesus had compassion on people. He 
never ministered apart from his heart of compassion. I had the unfortunate opportunity this past week to listen to a sermon that somebody chose to stand and preach for the express purpose of attacking somebody else and pointing out the, the reason his church was so much better than everybody else's church. And the whole sermon was surrounding this idea that those people just aren't even real Christians. And talking about the world in a way, yes, this world is evil. Yes, this world is wicked. Yes, the Bible condemns sin. But Jesus loved sinners. And if all we're doing is standing up on Sunday mornings, and I grew up in a few churches that were this way, where they talked about how they were better than every other church in the city and how they were the only real Christians in the community and everybody else had turned from Christ and they were apostates. And they preached about all these different places in the community and all these different groups and just tore them down without loving them. Jesus loved people. The only people in Scripture that we see that Jesus had a real problem with were the religious people. The ones that were not loving the world, not loving the sinners, not making disciples and sharing the good news. Jesus loved, and there's no way that we love at the same level that Jesus loves. But church, we have the love of Jesus in us. It's been spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. And we should have rivers of living water flowing out of us from our attitudes, from our words, from how we show grace to people that offend us, to how we forgive people that have hurt us. That's how Jesus loved people. But here's the interesting thing about Capernaum. Capernaum had been the site of many different proofs of Jesus' identity as the Messiah, but the people, this, this is hard to believe, the people in Capernaum who had seen more miracles than probably any other place still rejected Jesus. The leaders of the synagogue in his own hometown where he taught in Nazareth and then in Capernaum, his new hometown, rejected Jesus as their Messiah. When he pronounced woe on the cities in Luke chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, on the way to the cross, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. You will be cast down to hell. Those were words from Jesus at the end of his ministry about the place that he had lived. Many people in Capernaum and many people in Asheville are exposed to the gospel. Many people grew up in church, maybe even joined the church. Maybe they were baptized, very familiar with Jesus. Excited about what they can get out of Jesus, like the people that followed Jesus for the miracles and for the food and for the signs and wonders. But then when he went to the cross, they didn't care anything about that. 
Many people in our culture call themselves Christians because they're Christian culturally, but they don't know Jesus. Capernaum had a greater opportunity than probably any other city to hear and believe in Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us they rejected him. It also tells us in Luke 10, 12 and Matthew eleven twenty four 24, that they, like those of us who have been exposed to the gospel and our lives have been saturated by the gospel, we are held to a higher standard of judgment. So if God did not spare Capernaum due to their lack of faith, what makes us think he is going to spare us when we reject him? The power, powerful thing about Jesus' love is that he loved the people, but he kept loving people even when they rejected him. We see him hanging on the cross. The ultimate rejection, they murdered him. They lied about him. They crucified him. And from the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the kind of love Jesus had. We're a part of the Southern Baptist Association, and this church cooperates with them, as do all the Hope Church locations. And I believe there are um, 160, I believe that count is right, at the latest count, um, churches uh, here in Asheville, Southern Baptist churches. There's a lot of other churches as well. I believe it's 106. Is that right? 106. I believe that's correct. Um, churches. There are more programs. There are more strategies that are aimed at reaching the community. But if we'll go back to Jesus' ministry and just employ one strategy here at Hope Church to love people the way Jesus loved them, the Bible says love never fails. People can't reject the kind of love that Jesus offered to them. Yes, they have to choose whether they're going to receive, whether they're going to reject. Some will say yes, some will say no. But I promise you, if we love people like Jesus loved people, some people will say yes. They will receive the good news. They will receive the gospel that will transform their lives. Jesus continued to love them even when they rejected him. Graham and I had the opportunity to have a conversation with a group of rabbis in the first night we were in Old City, Jerusalem. We were at a little shop and we started talking to this group of rabbis and they obviously immediately knew that we were, <laughs> we were outsiders. We were from somewhere else. And uh, we, we stood out kind of like a sore thumb, which that was good. I wasn't interested in putting on a dress as a pastor. Uh, that's not going to happen. But, <laughs> but as we were sitting there talking to them, um, we, we were able to get around to the, the topic of the gospel. And this guy started asking me some pretty difficult, pretty difficult questions. And it was obvious that they did not believe that Jesus was their Messiah. 
And I had an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And I believe the Holy Spirit allowed me to do that in a loving way. They didn't receive the gospel, but they received what I shared about the gospel, which I'm praying that that's a seed that was planted in their hearts because they had some misconceptions about Christians that through the question they asked, I was able to clear some of those misconceptions up. And I'm praying that the Lord uses that in their life. Also, we had a guide that was with us every day of the trip. His name was Amir. And he was a practicing Jew, but he did not believe in Jesus. This guy was so intelligent. He shared all kinds of history, archaeology, all kinds of amazing facts. He actually knew his Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Yet he rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And we're praying that one day he'll receive Jesus as his Messiah. And I had an opportunity to speak with uh, a pastor and his wife who've been missionaries for 35 years with the North American Mission Board through the Southern Baptists in Israel. And they have to be kind of quiet about the work that they do. But I asked them, I said, how is the church in Israel? How is the church growing uh, it was around the Jerusalem area is where they ministered. I said, how is the church growing? And she just lit up. I'm talking, she just lit up. She said, Nathan, when we came here, she said, when we came here, there was just a small community of believers. She said, we knew of about 35 people that were, uh, it was 30s or 40s, that, that were there 35 years ago when they, were, when they first went. She said, now we know of over 20,000 people that openly proclaim and worship Jesus as their Messiah. Some of those had been converted through their ministry and other ministries in the area, the work of the local churches. And some of them had returned to Israel from other places around the world where they had believed in Jesus. And they're bringing that message back. As one day, early in the church, in Acts chapter 8, the persecution arose and the Christians left Jerusalem and went and spread the gospel all around the world. Well, now we're seeing people, Jews, go back to Jerusalem that have believed in Jesus and they're bringing it back there. And God is doing an incredible, incredible work in the church in Israel. But for our application this morning, I want us to close out thinking about this. It's a simple question. Church, do we minister like Jesus? And I mean this corporately. Our church collectively, do we minister like Jesus? Do our ministries, do our programs, do our teams, does our worship, does our preaching, does our property, does everything reflect how Jesus did his ministry? We need to think about that. Because if not, we're doing it wrong. But I also want us to think about this as individuals. Jesus ministered in community. If God's going to do a work in Asheville through Hope Church, he's going to first do it in this community. This body of believers that is in this building, he's going to build a community here that will in turn impact the community around us. If we can't get on the same page, if we can't love one another, if we can't forgive one another, if we can't show grace to one another, if we can't do ministry in these walls, the way that Jesus did, we'll never make an impact outside of these walls. So are we ministering like Jesus? Are we ministering in community according to God's will? Do we care 
in our own individual lives and in the church about aligning our worship and everything we do with God's word. Are we making disciples? Are we loving people in spite of rejection? Jesus was our model. He is the one who showed us how to do ministry. And everything that the early apostles and the early church taught in the book of Acts, they say we have between 13 and 19 sermons or portions of sermons preserved in the book of Acts from the early church. Everything that they taught was taught to them by Jesus. And he had them write through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write the words in Scripture to be a guide for the church throughout all time. That's why God inspired his word and preserved his word so that we could continue to minister like Jesus. Because if you look throughout 2,000 plus years of church history, well, not plus, almost 2,000 years of church history, since Jesus ascended back into heaven, commissioned his disciples, you'll see that the church has gone up and down into apostasy, into false beliefs, false teachings. But the church always corrects back to what? Scripture. The church always corrects back to God's word. Thus says the Lord. And we see many sad things throughout church history and we see many amazing things reformations and different things that took place in the church, cleansing of the church, revivals that God brought through his spirit to the church. And I'm praying that God allows something like that to happen here in this place, here in our hearts first, and then in this community. And if God answers that prayer, it's going to be because we minister like Jesus ministered. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for your spirit being here with us, Lord, allow these words to be seeds that are planted in each of our hearts and allow us to grow more into the image of Christ. God, hide us behind the cross of Jesus and please allow everything we do and everything we say to point back to Jesus Christ so that he would receive all the glory and all the honor. And God, we seek to make disciples to glorify you. God, we seek to love others and see healing and hope and life change happen in others lives for your glory god i pray that you would build a community here that would glorify you lord i pray that many souls would be saved and that many would be equipped for the work of the ministry through hope church we ask all these things in jesus name amen